0: Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book *Mere Christianity*, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Well, happy new year! I wrote 2023 on a date uh, on a piece of paper yesterday, and it just uh, felt really strange. Or, or maybe I typed it. I can't remember. Anyway, I remember uh, typing or writing 2023 and thinking, wow, it's 2023. So Happy New Year. Uh, I am personally crushing my New Year's resolutions at this point. Hopefully you are too. And um, let's get right into it. So if you want to email me, you can always email me, Christianity at com. I'm on Instagram at therealbearmartin. And on Twitter at bear for christos Now, for a bear in the woods, just a random, uh random thoughts about life. <clears throat> my kids cho- chose to stay up till midnight on New Year's Eve. So my kids are four, six and eight. My eight year old has been very excited about staying up. She's never done it before. Very excited about staying up till midnight on New Year's Eve. And so we had told her, OK, yeah, you know, if you if you want to stay up, we'll we'll stay up with you. Thinking that our other two, our four and six year old would go to sleep. And in fact, we they we, they had their bath. We had we did the whole bedtime routine. They were laying in bed and then they got up and just were like up and at them. And so they everybody stayed up till midnight, which which turned out to be great the next day. But uh, anyway, my kids were so excited about staying up. My wife and I were hoping to be in bed, <laughs> asleep at like 10. I just, I'm not a huge uh, midnight person. Uh, I get up about four fifteen, four thirty every morning. And so the idea of staying up to midnight is just, uh, you know, I could care less. But it was fun seeing my kids and just their excitement of how big of a deal it was to them to be able to stay up till midnight. And then they wanted to watch... The uh, like official New Year's coverage on TV. So we watched a lot of it, not all of it, um, but we watched a lot of it. And the thing that they were fascinated with is what different cities uh drop like new york city has the ball that drops raleigh has the acorn anytime there was a you know there was a cut to another city and they were interviewing someone there my kids were always asking what do they drop there what you know and i was like i don't know (laughs) i don't know they asked that question a bunch but anyway it was a lot of fun uh, and uh it was it was fun that night it was not fun the next day when uh they're sleep schedule was kind of off and uh they were grumpy and falling asleep in the car in the middle of the day and um and then you have to get them you know you get somewhere you're supposed to go and everybody's asleep and you're trying to get them up and they're all angry uh so that was that was a lot of fun anyway hope you enjoyed the new year with your family Today we're talking about Genesis one twenty eight. It says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's two main things I want to talk about: the the be fruitful and multiply concept, and then also the subdue and and have dominion over the earth. So those are the two basic categories. Now, first off, I spoke about this in a, in a previous episode, but when we talk about it, biblically, to be blessed by God is um, a, one way to think about that. Is it's conferring a fullness of life. There's a certain fullness of life that you have when you are being when you are blessed by God. And then when we when we bless God in in worship, we are acknowledging that all blessings come from him and he is the one. It is it is by aligning with him that we have a fullness of life. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. So there there is a fullness of life that is only found when you when you are obedient to God and his word. And so God here, he blesses mankind and says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and have dominion over it. And so when when he says, be fruitful and multiply, there's blessing in that. Now, that is opposite of the way children are viewed in today's culture. So the Bible says that children are a blessing and our culture simply does not agree. So it will not take long at all to find social media videos about how horrible parenting is. Now, uh, let me also say that some of these videos are absolutely hilarious. So my wife and I will, if we come across some, we'll share them back and forth. And some of the videos about just being a parent and things kids do are really funny. And so, uh, you know, it's like anything with with social media. There, It can be really good and it can be really bad. So my challenge here would be there's a lot of videos that portray parenting as being this completely negative miserable experience where you don't have a life and um in you know it's almost like a warning like don't have kids people because they'll just sap every ounce of enjoyment out of your life and that is not <laughs> what children do and so you know when we when you see these videos do you just kind of laugh and say oh that is that is funny that's so true about raising kids or is it something that uh, kind of drives in your heart a a um this this concept it further's this com- concept that kids are a burden and um and not a blessing and so just just check yourself when you're coming across those videos but anyway it is so common in culture for um there to be videos about parents complaining about having children and the and the things that come with that so think about it this way like uh a family with lots of kids and you, and they'll hear comments like, "Shoo!" I feel sorry for y'all. Or, you know, don't, don't you know what causes, kids to be born, you know, those those types of comments. Um, it, it's more rare to hear, wow, what a blessing from God that you have so many children. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5 say, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So throughout the Old Testament, when the israelites are are obedient to god there is blessing and there is favor from god and usually these these blessings from god are seen in two main ways their land will produce good crops and also they will have many children the women will not struggle with barrenness and then as a sign of judgment the the land there's famine in the land the land is not producing crop and the children uh, the women are not able to produce children, there's barrenness. So when you read like blessing and curse passages uh, in the Old Testament, this general concept can be seen over and over again. Now, in judgment, sometimes the judgment of God is God simply gives people over and allows them to continue on and deepen in their wrong way of thinking, their their thinking that is against God's word, uh, a depraved way of thinking, and that's from Romans one. He God give in judgment. God gives them over to a depraved mind, and so a a depraved or backwards way of thinking, an anti-biblical way of thinking, is that babies and children are inconvenient. Children are also viewed in our culture as a form of gender inequity. Um, because it, it, they they will say that women are are held back from advancing in a career if they have children too early in life. Um, that the women cannot have a a fullness of life like men can have because they are burdened with taking care of children. And so this is a, an inequality between women and men. That that would be a a, um, a a current cultural idea about children. So children are seen as a curse. Rather than a blessing. This is a depraved or backwards way of thinking. And so, in God's judgment, He will give people over to that way of thinking. And so, you know, with culture saying that children are a burden, then now we have this idea that abortion is a good thing. And so the curse just like i said uh, uh, signs of blessing would be productive land and the women would be able to have children a curse is barrenness and so uh, when god gives people over to a depraved way of thinking one of the things that they will do is try to beautify abortion that it this is a great thing this allows women who don't want to have a, a child at this point to advance financially in their careers it, it allows um you know a, a man to continue in his career without being uh bound to a woman who he's not married to and a child that he didn't want in the first place he just wanted the sexual enjoyment of that encounter but he doesn't want to have the consequences that sometimes come from sex and so you know we we've got to we've got to beautify abortion as this way of helping people have a fullness of life and it's a depraved it's a backwards way of thinking there is not fullness of life in that there's death in that and so you know so to to beautify abortion is a complete wrong way of thinking and it and it's barrenness this in the same way delaying a really long time to have children is is a form of barrenness i believe as well as part of god's judgment this idea that children are such a burden that we've got to we've got to do all the fun things in life before we settle down and get married and have kids um that's that's a wrong way of thinking so people are delaying getting married nowadays. they go out they sleep with all the people they want they travel the world they do all the the things that they want to do personally uh they they advance in their career and try to make a lot of money and that way they're not bound to to take care of a family and then they get married and now this married couple has to also have fun as a married couple without kids. So now they're going to travel, do all the things that they want to do before they're, you know, burdened with having children. And now they're older when when we talk about child uh childbearing years, um some of these women are are trying to have kids much much later in life and at that age they're struggling with fertility problems. Now, let me just say that we have several friends that struggle with having children and they're that's this is not their mindset. They they do view children as a a blessing from God. And so we live in a fallen world because of sin and there's sickness and disease and all kinds of problems when it comes to uh ladies having children. So I'm not talking about uh, you know, I'm not saying that just in general, if you can't, if you have a problem getting pregnant, that you're, there's some sort of sin in your life that you need to confess. No, sometimes it is the will of God that you do not have kids right now at this point, or maybe ever. Um, and and so, you know, He's in control of all of that. So, I'm not, I'm not. Talking about those families, I'm talking about people who are actively not wanting to have kids, so because they view them as some sort of burden. And maybe we'll get around to that later. Maybe there's some some fun in having kids, um, but I, there's there's greater fun to be had without kids. And so that that's that's the kind of mindset that I'm talking about. That is the backwards way of thinking. So the Bible says, "Be fruitful and multiply." God, that's that's God's plan for mankind. And so, you, people may push back here and say, "Well, what about a, a you know a, a teenager who doesn't want to have children right now um, and can't take care of them?" Well, that doesn't mean that we jump to abortion. Uh, there's <laughs> the the best thing you can do is if if there's been mistakes made in the past, the best thing you can do is start obeying God's Word in whatever stage of life you're in. Just start right there. So yeah, there there will be consequences. There, there will be consequences from your past. But the best thing you can do is start obeying right there. Don't break another commandment of God to try to get back right. Um, that's not the way to act. So obey. be obedient in whatever stage of life you're in. And that child will be a blessing. God God promises that. If you obey God's word, then, then he can turn all of that into blessing. Now, the second category I want to talk about is this idea of subduing and having dominion. Um, so these are similar words. And when you look up you know, how these words are used in the, the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, let's go over subdue first. So subdue, um, that's defined as to subjugate. Uh, even to violate, so many times it is used in the Bible to refer to a rule by force. So it's talked about with slavery in Second Chronicles twenty-eight. The Kingdom of Israel is divided at this point into two nations. There's there's it, there's what's called Israel, which is like the northern tribes, and Judah, which is the southern tribes. And so Israel invades Judah and is taking some of those people captive and making slaves of them. And the Lord says in 2 Chronicles 28.10, he says, And now you intend to subjugate—that's the word there for the same word as subdue in Genesis 1— and now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves— have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? So it's talked that word is used in the context of slavery. It's also used in the context of like rape and and uh, molestation. So Haman, in in the book of Esther, Haman is the bad guy, and Haman is trying to kill all the Jews. Well, he doesn't know that Esther, the queen, is a Jew, and so uh, when when the queen reveals Haman's plan to the king. The King is angered, and he almost like uh tries to chill, to cool off, so he like steps out of the room for a second, and while he's gone, Haman turns to Esther and is begging Esther for his life at this point all right and so esther seven eight picks up with this: Haman was falling on the couch where esther was and he and he's begging her for mercy and and then the King walks back in, and the King said, "Will he even assault?" That's the word there, this the same word as subdue. Um that's used in Genesis 1. Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? And so this idea that that Haman is going to somehow uh physically abuse Esther is, when as the king walks back in the room and he sees Haman sort of falling on the couch where Esther is, he thinks he's attacking her and uh, and he uses this word. So this word for subdue is also used in the context of slavery and and rape things like that now have dominion in genesis 1 can be can can be defined as to rule um, to tread, so this an example of this would be to tread in the wine press. So to tread down the grapes in the in the wine press. To dominate, um, to manage or govern with considerable or forceful authority, and so kind of the a similar uh, similar idea as subdue. So some Bible examples of this word. Um, God, when giving the laws to the Israelites after leading them out of Egypt, he does not allow them to make slaves of their own people. So Leviticus 25:43, you shall not rule over, that's, that's the same word there as um, to have dominion in Genesis 1. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but you shall fear your God. Isaiah fourteen verses five and six. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled, there's the same word there, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. So when you rule with anger and, and unrelenting persecution, that is a harsh ruler that is ruling by force. And so so it's a similar idea here. Now Genesis one talks about subduing and having dominion, and, and is this we see these words used in in bad context, slavery, rape, um, you know, terrible rulers. So why are these same words used in Genesis one? Let me read that verse again, Genesis 128, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here in this verse, we are to subdue the earth and we are to have dominion over every living creature. Now, in in two contrasting worldviews, let's take a naturalist, atheistic worldview, humans have dominion because they are simply the most evolved species in that worldview. Um, So we are the strongest, not necessarily just physically the strongest. There's certainly other animals that are stronger than humans. But mentally, when you put all of it together, humans can coordinate our efforts um, to, to have dominion over the animal kingdom. We can make weapons that you know, like we can make a weapon that a bear can't make, okay so um so humans can have dominion because we are the most evolved now, from a biblical worldview perspective, we have dominion because God created the world that way, He gave us dominion, so humans are made in the image of God and are supposed to subdue and rule and have dominion over the earth as a representation of the way that God rules over his creation. So again, when we are made in the image of God, one of the ways to think about that is we are supposed to represent we are a representation of God. And so we are supposed to rule the way that God rules. So subdue, it, you know, it has this idea of a forceful rule. When the Bible says to subdue the earth, think about Adam in the garden. When you are supposed to subdue the earth and and keep the garden, when, when a gardener tills the ground, that is a forceful action against the ground. He, he's cultivating that ground. It's forceful, but it's not abusive. So tilling, uh, pruning, the the plants, all of that is is forceful. The plants are not, you know, they don't have a say in it. The gardener simply chooses he's going to cut this branch here and he's going to till the ground in this way. So there's there's a force to this type of uh subduing, but it's not abusive. In the same way having dominion over every living creature. There there is an authority and a power that mankind has over the animal kingdom um and it is there sometimes there is force behind that but it it should not be abusive and so sin corrupts this the the way that we rule we're supposed to image the way god rules we're supposed to represent that but sin corrupts man in the image of god it corrupts that image so we often subdue and have dominion in the wrong way because of sin. So deep in the heart of mankind is a desire to rule and and subdue and have dominion, but we do it wrong. So throughout history, you can see that we, mankind, has tried to subdue and rule, but we've done this through enslavement, uh, rape, molestation. You know, there there's this all of this I, this idea of ruling over other things is part of our being. But because of sin, we do that in the wrong way. Child abuse, that you could boil it down to a father who abuses his wife and children he deep inside that there's a desire to rule over his household but he's completely wrong in the way that he tries to go about that he's he's not ruling over that house the way that god rules over his creation or the way that that jesus leads the church we see this example of a husband is supposed to love his wife as christ Love the church, and so he is. He is head over his household, but he's supposed to do that in the way that Jesus Christ did it. And and so in the, with the idea of child abuse or spousal abuse, that's completely wrong. Um, it, it's it's wrong because of sin, and also we abuse nature. We we abuse natural resources, and we abuse the animal kingdom for our own good. You know, you think about cockfights and dogfights and things like that. There's there's an abuse over the animal kingdom in the same way. Romans 8 talks about creation longing for this return of a of a rightful ruler, uh, mankind who is who is subduing the earth in the right way and having dominion in the way that God intended and these are called the sons of God or the children of God. Now, not everybody is a a son or a a child of God. It is only those who are united to God, who are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So there will be a restoration of mankind that is rightly subduing and having dominion over a, a created universe. And so Romans 8 And not only the creation, but we ourselves—this is talking about Christians—but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So eventually, there will be a new creation, and, and Christians— in a redeemed, restored body, we will, we will be able to perfectly rule over the earth as God intended. We will represent God perfectly. And creation is longing for this. So because of man's sin, all of creation has suffered because of that. But one day that, that will be made right. And how is it made right? It is through Jesus Christ. So Jesus in Romans 5 is called the second Adam. And Jesus is not born with a sin nature. Jesus is the perfect image, the perfect representation of God. In fact, Jesus is God. So one of the names for Jesus in the Bible is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. John one fourteen, the the, the phrase, the word here is talking about Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses down, John 1, 18, this is kind of a wordy verse, but it says, no one has ever seen God. The only God, This now this is talking about Jesus. No one has ever seen God the Father, but the only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, he has made him known. So Jesus makes known to us God, the Father, the only way we can know God the Father is through Jesus Christ J- Jesus, by taking on flesh by becoming a human um in a way to think about that is is Jesus is speaking our language about God, Jesus can reveal God to us in a way that we we couldn't know before, and Jesus again, he perfectly represents God hebrews one three it says he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So God the Father's glory is able to be seen by us because of Jesus. He's the radiance, the, the part of God's glory that we can see. We can see that in Jesus Christ. John fourteen nine. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. It is an he, Jesus is an exact copy. Oh, that's that's kind of a loose way of translating that. An exact imprint, an exact copy, so much so that you could not tell the difference between the original and the copy. Jesus is the exact copy of the glory of God the Father. Jesus perfectly represents God the Father. And Jesus rules in a way, because he's a perfect representation of, of God the Father, Jesus subdues and has dominion the way God intended. And this is this is through uh, a type of like servant leadership. Think about what Jesus did, how Jesus rules. First, Jesus came to give his life in obedience to God the Father and because of his love for his creation. Philippians 2 Verses five through eight says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Matthew 20, verse 28 is 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 talking about the same concept and it says even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so Jesus serves first this is a a self sacrifice for his creation that is the way that Jesus rules he 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 serves his creation in love now Therefore, so Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. So right after we learn about Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, all of that stuff. Then verse 9 picks up with, therefore, so because Jesus did that, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all creation is subject to Jesus Christ because he is their creator. And he will, and 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 he has dominion. He will subdue. So Jesus is Lord. Psalm one ten verses one and two says, "The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. And and so the way the way this verse is interpreted. And and by the way, this is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And this is talking about Jesus. It says to the Lord says to Jesus, God says to Jesus, rule in the midst of your enemies. So Jesus is ruling. And this same word, rule there, is the same word used in Genesis 1 for have dominion. So Jesus came the first time as a baby in a manger to give his life for the sins of those who will trust in him. So he comes in in, in a form of servanthood to his creation. He gives himself for his creation, but... Jesus will come the second time in judgment. He currently sits at the Father's right hand as all his enemies are being put under his feet, and the last enemy is death. So Jesus is Lord. Jesus rules. Jesus already has dominion. So the way Jesus rules over creation, he is the perfect representation of God the Father and the way he rules is there there is mercy there is grace but at the same time there is justice and righteousness in the way that he rules he perfectly subdues and has dominion over creation now the question is have you submitted to his rule it's it's not a question of if Jesus is ruling Jesus is Lord. He is ruling. All enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. And so are you an enemy of God or are you a friend of God? Are you submitting to his rule? Are you right with God? In closing, Psalm 2 verses 10 through 12 says this, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. "'Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, "'for His wrath is quickly kindled. "'Blessed are all who take refuge in Him.'"